Part of being credible is being of service to others, including yourself. And when you're inside of a company, lots of times people, what quiet quitting was, from my uh, my quick quick understanding of quiet quitting and what I see inside corporations, is people didn't like the company they worked for anymore. People didn't like the job they had. The, there are people, the younger generation, are given a job that might be an eight hour job and because they're up to speed on the current technologies and tool sets, they get that eight hours done in two hours. Now, when they go to their boss and say, I want to do more, the boss says, well, I don't want you to burn out. I, you're good at what you do. I don't want you to burn out. And they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs, actually doing things you know, for six hours. They're, they've quite quit. And over time, since the older generation has not allowed the, the younger generation to, to really flourish in who they are, that's where quiet quitting came in a lot from the younger generation. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest today is a global credibility expert, two times international TEDx speaker, an international best-selling author with over 60 books under his belt, and a certified stakeholder-centered coach. He's earned a place among the world's top 200 leadership voices by Leaders Hum, and is the number one thought leader in ecosystems and top 100 thought leader overall by Thinkers360. With a wealth of professional experience, he served on a board of a NASDAQ firm, started 20 professional service companies in Silicon Valley, and founded four executive business programs and conferences during the dot-com days. Now that's interesting, we might dive into that. Get ready to learn from one of the best in the business. I'm honored to have a deep conversation with a credibility expert, father, lover of fine champagne, and someone who is fascinated by helping people fly like eagles. Mitchell Levy, Mitchell, welcome to the show. <laughs> Craig, great to be here. What an intro. That's uh, overdone. <laughs> overdone and thank you. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Now, you've got lots of experience in your life, but I would love to know where it all started. Where did you grow up? And when you were running around the playground with your friends, what was the big dream that uh, inspired you? You know, I uh, in the East Coast of the United States, uh, formative years technically was in New Jersey. But I, I believe prior to high school, or actually prior to college, I was going through life and I was sleepwalking, right? So... 
one of the things at one point in time I said to myself, uh, this is when I was in high school, I'm going to be, I'm going to grow up and be a professional waiter. And I realized then what the cap of professional waiters were. Mm. And then said, oh, I'm going to go up and be a professional uh, photographer. And there's a handful that do super well. And then there's a lot that don't. And somewhere, probably my first year of college is, is when I kind of woke up and started thinking about things in a much different way. And so my... Uh, I, Growing up, formative years, I didn't have the type of dreams that maybe many people have. I did get them when I hit college. Mm. So would you consider yourself more of a follower or leader during the, your sort of schooling years? Hmm. Uh, huh. uh, up until through high school, probably a, a fly on the on the back of the wall. Starting college, I was a leader. Uh, so I, I joined the student government. I, I ended up in my first semester. Um, I, I, what I ended up doing is, is following. So we'll talk about following. I, I met two really gorgeous women and became friends with them. And what they thought was fun on a Friday night was go to the library. And so I'd hang out in the library. And it turned out in that first semester, for the first time in my life, I got all A's and just two B's. Wow. And in, in the second semester, now prior to that, I was a C and D student. I mean, you could probably count up on, on one hand my SAT score. It was it was pathetic. In the second semester, I ended up getting all A's and one B. And then for the rest of my college career it was all A's. And it was just it was for me. I wasn't really, uh, this is just what I say, I wasn't really awake. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, whatever the fog was that I had was lifted. And I showed up in a way that what's crazy, uh, we'll start with when I was my first um, year in, in undergraduate, I was a international finance and marketing major. Hmm. Now I wasn't, particularly good in high school. So I don't know how I came to the conclusion in my first semester that that was too easy. I, it, it, still, when I think about it now, that does not compute. So I went to the guidance counselor and I said, I, I'm a business person. I want to be in the business school. What is the hardest curriculum that I could actually take? And, and she said, well, here's a course. I, by the way, I couldn't even pronounce it. Um, I still, if I could pronounce it today, I get really excited about it. It's a Bachelor of Science in Stochastic and Deterministic Models of Operational Research. Um, what that means, by the way, is, is I was taught through the Industrial Engineering Organization, and I was taught how to create models of people and systems and improve them. And what was fascinating about that choice, so you could say some divine intervention, you could say serendipity, whatever it was, that choice taught me things I still use today. And I don't know a lot of people who could say that about their undergraduate degrees. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, I, I like the first comment. You know, it's funny how good looking human beings have a, a funny knack in influencing our decisions and obviously leading to the library and those, you know, the A scores in your exams. Uh, I still remember uh, um, being influenced by a very good looking human being when I was studying for anatomy and I was the only person at that point to ever get 100% on the final anat anatomy exam. 
Um, so there's there's something in that. Now, nice. obviously, you know, making that choice, I mean, most people would have chosen something they feel comfortable with, something they feel passionate about when they want to study, um, something they even feel interested in. And here you were throwing yourself into the absolute unknown and uncomfortable space of give me the hardest thing that I can study. That That's an interesting insight into, I suppose, your personality. Like, is that is that something you love doing? You, you like being put in, exposing yourself in a way through uncomfortable, um, uncomfortable experiences in the world? Craig, you, you, um, you did say in the green room that you're going to ask questions that nobody else has so far and you are on that path. So, um, thank you. You know, the, I'll give you the rationale behind my thinking process at that time. Um, and then I'll answer your question. So the rationale behind the thinking process is I didn't want to work. I just wanted to be 100% focused on school. And because I was focused on school, I owed it to everyone who helped me get to where I was to, to, to learn the most. That was for what that was worth. That was my, I recognized once I left school, I will never study in the same way again. Now, that's actually not really true when I look at what I've done over the last couple of years. That said, uh, that was my thinking process at the time. Now, your your question was, do I, do I always get after the hardest thing? And since nobody asked that question, I need a little bit of thought to, to think that through. I'm not convinced I always go after the hardest thing, but what I am convinced that I don't always go the direction everyone else is going. Mm. And so if I'm going a direction that other people are going, then I need to prove not just to myself, but to others that it feels like the right direction. And so if you call that, yeah, that's hard, then, then yes, but that's not the way. I, I just look at it as I I feel like for me that I should do the thing that's right. I should do the thing that 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 feels right in my gut that I get led to and I can influence the most people that I interact with in a way that they have information that is easier consumed that they then can make the choice that's appropriate for them. Hmm. So when you look at decision making, are you someone that will trust your gut instinct predominantly or are you someone that needs to also do the research and, and kind of uh, look at the context behind something. Do do you need to kind of balance both the intellect and the the instinct? Uh, let me say I'm an odd duck in as much I'll do a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. I'm very intuitive, right? So I, I have an opportunity to, to see people read their uh, opinions, sometimes see their or feel uh, who they are and what they do. And when it comes to a concept or a process or 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 a opportunity, uh, I'll need to do the research. Like I'll, I'll listen. So occasionally I'll dive. If there's somebody I particularly trust and I don't have time and they say, Mitchell, I've done the research. This is good. I like it. You should try it. Well, if it's not diving off a cliff then the consequences are not super high, the answer will be yes. But a lot of times I want to explore. I want to see. I think word that I've seen a lot recently is discerning. And 
And so I don't want to accept what people say at face value. I need to be discerning about it. Now, sometimes it's easy to um, it's easy to unravel. So, for instance, I had an opinion about you by doing the research I did ahead of time, and I asked you in the green room, so you helped clarify. To me, that's me just being a little bit more uh, discerning, and and that uh, it's in today's world where in a very short period of time we won't understand what is fake and what's real it's important to be discerning very good i'm just going to cut here for a second i'm just going to change internet real quick yeah i saw your facial expression i'm like oh, did i say something interesting there was something that was getting your attention i'm like oh, <laughs> oh good it wasn't me no no all good my business partner wrote a book called People Follow People. And when we look at trust in kind of the society and the world over the last you know, few years, you know, up until about 10 years ago, if we Googled the top 100 most followed things in a way, it would have been companies, you know, in, in regards to trust. So we would have trusted a Coca-Cola or Google or, or an IBM, etc. If we now do a Google search uh, around, you know, based on trust, it's around 97, oh, sorry, 93% are human beings. And so that we've seen a big shift in the way we approach both trust and even credibility in recent times. And the human being is becoming the most predominant thing. And I think it'll become even more important as we go forward in regards to greater technology being utilized to, you know, with chat GPT or artificial intelligence and other technologies that will continue to come out year by year. For you, what have you noticed in regards to that, the trend in regards to what and who people trust? So the, the, I love the, the word trust and what that means. And to me, when I think about the word credibility, I'm going to say credibility is the quality in which you are trusted, known, and liked. So I've combined those together because it's more than just trust. Specifically focused on uh, your question, it is really fascinating. At some point in time, when we trusted a company, we trusted the brand of the company, and the company was a black box. We never got to see inside of it. We just trusted the brand. Well, those days are gone. And what happens is the it's it really is now. I'm not convinced the stock market has kept up with this. I'm not convinced all companies have kept up with this. Actually, I'm absolutely convinced they have it. What companies need to recognize is that the value of the company is the sum of the parts, not the company and the brand itself. And what happens is if you have uh, one bad, uh, great example, customer service, you, you're calling up, you're using the telephone company, you call up customer service and you get somebody that's that's really crap. Now, there's there might be 50,000 other employees, but get one person who's crap or the company's crap. And that's where we sit today. Um, you know, when you have a CEO right? The CEO of Uber, where something bad has happened and the whole company comes down. That's one thing. But what happens when it's a mid-level manager and they do something bad? And that now reflects on the company. And so trust. And then how does the company address that if it's something common that, that we do? And, and so trust 
of a company is now comprised of trust of the individuals inside the company that that you know and interact with. And and I believe we'll see more and more of of the understanding of of that from corporate and how companies are run and and particularly as as a leadership development uh company you end up seeing more and more of the importance of the leaders not just focusing inside the company not just focusing on the customers but also focusing on a little bit more of the the world affairs and the things that their clients care about mm. in the past it didn't matter Okay, so you touched on three things uh, for credibility, trust, known for, and liked. Uh, is there any specific order? Do we need to like someone first before we will begin to trust them? Or is it okay to know them for something first and then uh, we might build some trust and then like them? Or or does it not really matter? It's a great, it, by the way, I, I love that question and I love playing around with concepts. So let me, let me give a scenario where it is no like trust because there are many other scenarios where we that may not happen. So a scenario of no like trust. Uh, you, uh, whoever booked me for this event didn't really uh, didn't really know me at all. So the first thing that happens is when they look at my web presence, either LinkedIn profile or my website, I have somewhere between five to eight seconds for that person to go, well, I think I trust this person enough to get to know them a little bit better. Then I'll get maybe another 30 to 60 seconds where they dive in a little bit more detail. As they're diving in, they're actually building upon the trust and they may even, if I've done a good job on my website, they may even start liking me a little bit. After that minute's up where it's focused on the, the really the trust and to get to know them better, then they'll decide to spend more time. And so that's where it gets really fascinating is in that particular scenario, it is trust no like. The 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 concept that we have, the I'm gonna say the marketing cookie cutter BS that we've we've been fed up until now that it's always no like trust. That was in a day where no meant that I know of you. Mm. Right. So it's in the old days, we were in the yellow pages or we had an advertisement, you know, you know, on a on a highway, on a billboard, because there was no internet. So so what we cared about was the broadcast world that would get people to know once they got to know you, oh, do we trust them? Hmm. But nowadays, with with the internet, everyone having a microphone, everyone having a camera, the opportunity to know of somebody. If I, you know, if I have a problem or an issue, leadership coaching, if I have a, a speaker, speaker as a, as a C-suite person or just speaker as a, as a trusted advisor, how do I speak? If, if I want to find somebody, I'm going to Google it. I may stumble upon your firm. I may also, also stumble upon a hundred others. Mm. How do I choose? So being, being known is one thing. What needs to happen super quickly is do I trust they can do the job? And then when I start getting to know them, their intent, commitment to do the right thing, their servant leadership, their ability to achieve what they want to do, their integrity, internal integrity versus versus what other things. Then as I get to know them, and at the end, by the way, I have to decide if I'm going to spend money to, to, to be part of you. I decide that the experience is going to be fun. Guess what? I have a, If I have 100 choices, I get to make that choice is, 
is do I trust they'll do the job? Do I know them? And they have the same types of values I have. And will I like the experience? I do I like them? Yeah, interesting. Uh, like when I think about in regards to when I'm making a decision on someone uh, and even looking at, uh, I suppose, trust from my perspective or, you know, would I engage with someone? Uh, I always think of, do I do I like them? Do I know that that person care about what I does matters? And then do I find them interesting and fascinating? So that that's kind of the process I go through. So, um, you know, if I if I look at your LinkedIn, for instance, uh, you've got huge curiosity in your title straight away. Attracted to CEOs flying like eagles, and and I think a lot of about liking someone is is sparking a curiosity as well. Uh, and then obviously you've got a nice a lot of credibility. Um, one thing, I, and, and I'll share this because I found this interesting. I, I wanted to know more about you as a human being. You know, mm. I went through and I was like, lots of credibility. You know, I've done this. I, I work with these people. Here's what I know. This is this is what I think about this. Uh, but I was looking for more of who's that human. Do you think that's really important now when it comes to credibility do, and trust? Do we do we want to go beyond what they do in their role to actually are, who they are as a human being? So clearly, I have work to do on my LinkedIn profile. Uh the answer is yes. And it's really fascinating because I, now that you gave this data point based on who you are and how you show up in the world, you're someone I would trust. Given that you gave that data point, I'm like, oh, maybe I need to take on a different angle and try to put the the, the glasses on of Craig Johns and go, huh, he doesn't think I show up enough as me like he he didn't really get to know me i'm like i didn't know that let me let me figure out how to fix that so lots of one of the ways you might have been able to do it and maybe this isn't isn't what happened i created a lot of videos and so there are video testimonials there are other things that are linked to my linkedin profile and if you if you didn't click on those as a way to get to know me then uh, I need to say, well, maybe there are other things I need to do because we don't always process things by watching videos. So, so yeah, thanks for that. So, but sorry, I answered it from my perspective, from your perspective, the answer is, yeah. Like, why would you want to, why would you want to interview me if it wasn't going to be fun? Like, like not it, it, you have a choice, right? How many people want to be on this show? I get, I'm lucky enough to be on it. So how, what, what makes somebody decide well, you looked at the profile, man, that's question. I need to ask questions about that. I need to know a little bit more. Um, but you want to make sure that this is always when when I'm uh, I've got four different podcasts and and I'm always super concerned about the person who I know they're just there to sell their product. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's not gonna work. That's not what we do. That's not in the interview. That's I don't want you to sell. If you, if you and I had the same conversation, if you don't sell <laughs> while you're talking, people get interested. And at the end, the host gets the ability to say, hey, go check out Mitchell here or go check out so-and-so. And and I have a guy uh, right now, I'm dealing, oh, great example. So to answer your question, somebody came to me and I always do a screening interview up front. I want to get to know people. And, and so I did the screening interview and he showed up sort of like I thought it, like he'd want to sell himself. And so I started sharing what would be a good way for him to get on it. And, and 
He was this guy on the borderline, right? I Deep down, he knows the answers. He knows what he's supposed to do. In his heart, he was good. He was credible. He just had all these marketing cookie cutter stuff that says, hey, listen, go on a podcast. You got to sell. Well, he sent in a bio. The bio wasn't about him. The bio was about his company. One of my persons read it and said, Mitchell, I, I need to ask this guy for a new bio. I said, yes, please ask him for a new bio and say, if we don't fix it, we can't have him on the air. And, you know, and and I, so I had a conversation. It didn't quite work. If I had the second conversation and he doesn't turn into a human, then I'll just say no thanks. And so the answer to your question is yes. If I can't see someone and understand that the intent of what they want to do is provide value to the person they're with. So servant leadership. The, one of the first questions I asked was, what would you like to get out of this? And you said, we're going to have a fun conversation. I'm going to explore things you've never talked about before. I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. Sounds like a great challenge. It's interesting. You know, we're talking about servant leadership here. Um, when we think about servant leadership, it's around how do we give to other people? How can we, how can we help them? How do we make them the most interesting person in the room? But then we're also, there's lots of talk around, you need to be more vulnerable as a leader. You need to open a wound and you need to share things about your lessons so you become more human in a way. So so trust is kind of, it, it's an interesting one. You know, we used to trust people that looked like they had everything together. But now we trust people more that can open up a wound and actually, and share that, you know, they are human, they do make mistakes, they learn from them etc so how do we balance that space of serving where we give where we where we make it all about the other person versus opening up that wound showing that we're vulnerable that we make mistakes but we've learned from them and here's what you can learn you know by the way you just asked about three questions i'm just going to answer one <laughs> and, and I'll, i'm happy to do the others the most important thing to think about is you can't be a servant leader to others unless you at least properly serve yourself. You can't be credible to others unless you're credible to yourself. Mm. And so 100% of the servant leader who only gives and never receives, that's not a good way to live life either. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, let, let's let's okay, let's go from that one into <laughs> what I think was the second question which was around uh, you know, balancing that trust from here's what I'm good at, here's what I do, here are the things that are done well versus opening up a wound and being vulnerable. Uh, thank you for that. I, you know, I was trying to do something where I gave you like a five-second response and, you know, because sometimes it makes sense to try that technique as well. You know, um, there were 10 elements or 10 values that that were part of credibility. And under the, under I call them, uh, column. So under the column or pillar of trust, it was vulnerability, authenticity, integrity, and coachability. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you a story about coachability in a second. Um, but you specifically asked about being vulnerable. And the answer is, we, I'm so glad you brought that up. In the past, we were taught that the that your job as, as a CEO, your job as a manager, you were always right. It was the command and control world. You're always right. You're never wrong. You're not vulnerable, all that stuff. And that is just the opposite of what's true today. The, But there's a fine line between vulnerable and not knowing the answer and seeming weak, right? And that's where it's a fine line. So 
You need to be a good facilitator. You need to be a good team leader, no matter what your role is. You need to be able to pull in the opinions of what you need and then be decisive on answers that need to happen based on the best information you have. And how best can you do that if you are not only, you know, someone who is authentic, so people get to see you. You're not only somebody who has integrity. Now, I'm going to say integrity. When I did the the credibility framework, integrity was the only value that appeared twice. And under the pillar of being trustworthy, it's your external integrity. It's what you show to the world. Uh, under being known, it's your internal integrity. And we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. The being vulnerable is important. And what's really important is being coachable. And, and what's interesting, if you're coachable, that you're that means you're going to learn, that you're going to listen, you're going to grow. And if uh, I sat on the board of a NASDAQ company, and, and so when the CEO would bring somebody in that they'd want to put on, on the executive team, and they'd say, what do you think of this person? Well, that's one of the things I was thinking about is, well, they're supposed to show bravado. They're supposed to show they're good at what they do, particularly as a CMO or a CRO. And and then I would be looking for, are they coachable? Because if they're not coachable, they're not going to listen ultimately to the CEO. They're ultimately not going to listen to the customers. They're not going to listen to their staff. They're going to do what they think is right. And that doesn't make for a good partner uh, for the team. And so the it's a it's a fine line. We we don't have you know we don't have rule books for this that say it's it's always this under this scenario. What we do have, and and the best way I could explain it, is simply being a compassionate human, hmm. being more human, being more transparent, being more understanding of where people are. I mean, one of the things that COVID did, I became a marriage counselor. I became a psychologist. I didn't expect that. But the people who were working for me at the time, they they weren't going out. They were locked in their facilities. They had nobody else to talk to. If I didn't take on that role as well, they may not have been around um, like they are today. And so it that's kind of the the role. We, it's this fine line, probably I'll, I'll end with, we think about the world and and there's so many people talk about work-life balance. What really it is, is life balance. There is no work-life balance. Everything sort of merges and, and melds together. And the important part of a leader is to not only lead and, and, ex and get excited about and have their people get excited about, but also understand what's going on in, in the hearts and minds of people who work for them and encourage them to live their dreams. And hopefully they end up hiring people and end up nurturing people who their dreams are in alignment with the company dreams. That was a lot of stuff. That's good. It's fascinating. I'm just sitting there thinking this is one of the few podcasts I have interviews I've done where my mind is racing in multiple directions based on your uh, on your answers, which is great because it just opens up a whole lot more. Uh, talking about being coachable, I was just thinking around, you know, when we talk to people about are you coachable, I think a great question that's just come to my head is, can you sit in a meeting that you've organized for one hour and speak for less than two minutes? Ooh. Now, somebody might say yes to that, but not do it. 
That's interesting. That's a great question. It, it, it's it's fundamental to, uh, you know, when you when you think about leadership and you think about vulnerability anyway, and you think about coachability, are you prepared to listen and learn from others rather than go, here's, here's my opinion on this. Now, it's obviously not going to work for every single type of meeting that you, you may deliver, but I think it's just a fascinating question to ask someone. So I'll leave that one with you maybe to ask someone one day. <laughs> uh, oh, I will absolutely ask that question, but it's really about, uh, we I think I mentioned ahead of time, we we were running a boot camp. We do the ultimate credit by boot camp. And one of the participants in the boot camp was someone who does similar stuff. And when we hit one of the exercises, one of the things we were doing, she had a super strong opinion. I'm like, oh, I kind of like that opinion. I kind of like the exercise. What if you ran that for us? I mean, just out of the blue. And she goes, oh, okay. And so she spent the next half hour running an exercise unplanned for with everyone in the group. And everyone benefited. By the way, I, I said to her, it worked out fabulously. I can't believe how amazing it worked. Does she mind if I bundle that into the program going forward? I mean, everyone wins. Wow. And I, I just thought it was it was a powerful way to demonstrate what leadership really is. And that is you take advantage of, and I don't mean this in a negative way, you take advantage of the talent that's in front of you. And, and I know living, uh, sort of delivering boot camps as well, where you're trying to get a transformation in something, right? You, the people are going to learn something, so you want to transform from where they are to somewhere. And you've got to orchestrate that. There's a lot that goes in. So for you to actually trust your gut instinct in that moment to go, you know what? I have no idea where this person may go with this. You, you kind of, you're just basing it on what they're saying. Hey, I've got this strong opinion. I've got this idea this exercise and for you to allow that to happen is quite phenomenal because i know how these events work um if you really mm. and so that's great I, I like that aspect oh can i can i tell you what she did to make me feel more comfortable sure so what she said was i have an exercise that that has really worked in this scenario i'm just not sure if you think you have enough time and I'm like, so this is somebody who is who wasn't just offering to speak to speak, but wanted to add value if I could squeeze it in. So I wow. felt that she was professional enough to understand that if I gave her cues to slow it down or to stop, she would. And and so I, uh, yes, it was like in that particular case, it wasn't based on historical events or anything. It's just my gut said, this was going to add value. And as a, as someone who is leading, letting somebody else take control felt like exactly the right thing we needed to demonstrate for everyone in the room for them to, to get part of their transformational experience. Mm. Very good. Very good. I like that. Uh, I think back to, you know, when people ask me as a leader or even when I was coaching high performance athletes, et cetera, they're they would ask, you know, what would be your major role as part of that? And I always say that 50% of my role is always care. Care. It is caring about that human. People want to know that people care about them. And so it goes beyond, you know, and people would go, oh, that's weird. You know, isn't it about the training or the coaching or or the the specific activities and the feedback you're giving? I'm like, no, it's about care. And people are always seeking 
to find that space in the world where they know that people care about them. Uh, so when you look at from a credibility point of view, how much do we need to show we care about the the people we're trying to attract versus trying to show this is what we can do for you or this is what mm. I know? Can I ask a question about care for a second? Yeah, yeah. What do you mean by, what do you mean? I have an interpretation of what care means. What does that mean to you? Care for me is that sense of this person is interested in me and I can feel they want to help me. Mm. So, so first, let me make an observation. When I was thinking about, as you said, I try to think ahead of time of what you're saying and listening. And you were saying, the thing I think is most important, you said care. I'm like, that's fascinating. That's not the word I would have come up with. The word I would have come up with is that I see them. And then when you gave your definition of care, to me, it's the same thing. Hmm. So it might mean that I'm a visual processor and you're a kinesthetic processor. That that's the only thing I was trying to hmm. put my put my arms around there. Uh, humans, yeah, it's <laughs> so. It, sorry for laughing. I I just had this thought that popped in my head. I'm like, I gotta say this. So a lot of times when I was I was running a bunch of CEO networking groups. I ran I ran four of them for a decade and. And one of the phrases we'd often echo at some point in time is it's lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me take that to the next level. It's actually lonely to be a human. Right? It's and if we're gonna say it's lonely to be a human, then what does a human need to feel like you are there to serve them? They either need to feel that you care or feel that you really see them which is another way of saying you care that that was the difference. So the, for me, I, when I'm working with somebody, we need to establish such a level, a container of trust that they recognize that anything they say or anything I say is between us. Mm. And that if feedback comes out of who I am and what I do, it is, it is not, personal it's meant in well it is personal but it's meant in a way that will allow the person to go from where they want to go or where they are not where they want to go by the way recognizing that most of the time when someone comes to you uh and they're looking for executive coaching or looking for coaching they will often say what they want but it's not necessarily what they need yeah and what people actually say about me, my favorite, um, my favorite feedback is he was successful and he gently nudged me where I needed to go. Mm. Right. And it's because it's never, it's not about the hammer, right? That's what people are afraid of. Oh, you got to go from here to here. You do this, this, and this other thing. If you care about somebody, if you truly see them, you find a way where they can see where they really want to go, not just where they say they want to go, but where they really want to go. Mm. That's not always easy for people to do, 
um, both as the person who um, is is actually on the exercise themselves and as the coach, it's not always easy to bring people to a place. And you can only do it if you care about the person's well-being and you and you and you could see and have a vision of where the person really does need to go. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. In in regards to I'm gonna pop back to known for. We talked about known for earlier on around credibility. I uh, and it's different around the world. Okay, so I'm gonna paint a picture. Um I grew up in New Zealand, I live in Australia. Tall poppy syndrome is massive here. And so you were kind of taught from a young age not to share too much about who you are, etc., or what you have done. So you you couldn't be in a position where you know, I've won 10 national titles. I have, you know, led a, a team of 500 successfully. Like you, you couldn't actually do that well and gain trust from people because they just go, um, they just kind of knock you off your perch in a way and try and bring you back to kind of a, a level. And, and that's kind of a harsh way of putting it. Uh, whereas in America, I seem to, I've noticed when I have been there or in North America in a way, is that people, uh, it's, quite comfortable for people to spell out exactly who they am and what they do and what they're known for. So it's a very different, I suppose, approach in different parts of the world. So when we talk about known for in this world of credibility, is it more about the credibility showing up on saying what we have done and what we have achieved? versus mm. what we can do for them or something similar to that? This is a phenomenal question. Now we're really at the meat of the meat of the matter. I do have a question. You you used a phrase tall poppy. Mm-hmm. Is that the phrase? I didn't I'd never heard that before. I know that may uh so anyway, that's an interesting phrase I've not heard. Is that that's the rep you you explained what that meant. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, um, it's, it's our way of, I suppose it's a way of people, f- um, you know, when we see successful people, we don't want to get them too far out of our reach. We, we don't want them to, um, dis- you know, you know be, be put on a pedestal, so to speak. You know, we, we want to bring them back down to our level. It, it, for some reason, it's there. And, and for rightly or wrongly, um, it, it's quite caught up in our society here, which is a real shame because... Uh, at times, people don't get knowing in a way for what they have achieved. Mm. I, you know what you're what you're talking about um, is when I was doing. So I, I did this Napoleon Hill journey, self-prescribed Napoleon Hill journey between 2019 and 2020. I interviewed 500 thought leaders on credibility. And I would ask the same five questions. And I, I I got a download on the five questions, and they are absolutely the right order of, of things to say and, and how to address the question you're asking. And the, the first question that I asked, the first thing that I when when you interact with somebody, you're you're absolutely right. Sometimes if you say, hey, I'm the best in the world, and so and so. Uh, the people get turned off or I sell business insurance. Do you want some? Uh, people get turned off, right? So what what I encourage people to think about, what I encourage people to do 
is, and this is, um, you you mentioned this about my LinkedIn, come across in a way that you can articulate the playground you play in. Hmm. Right? And I use the word playground in a very, in a very, because it's, it's what do you do in life as a, as a business person? What do you do that, 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 that you love doing? Where is that playground you play? And, and if you can articulate, I call it a CPOP, by the way, customer point of possibilities. If you can articulate your CPOP in 10 words or less, people are like, that's interesting. And the most natural question, if, you, if you're curious, is tell me more. Mm. And as you pointed out by looking at the LinkedIn profile, and then if you looked at you know, my website and other locations, my CPOP, the clients that, that I'm attracted to, CEOs flying like eagles. And so what I recommend people do is, is come up with a way, and the formula is very straightforward. It's who do you serve? And from their perspective, what is the pain point that they want to get over? Or what is the pleasure point they want to reach? And so there are corporate CPOPs. So you do one for the for the corporation, you you do one for divisions, you do one for individuals. And and the overlap between the corporate and the individual CPOPs, that, that if you look at a Venn diagram, the synergy, the employee operational excellence is, is having employees where they're, they're personal, they're individual CPOPs, the clarity they have on life is consistent with the clarity of what the corporation wants to do. And, and so when, when people say, who are you? Um, I've been teaching and sharing to other people. Well, what you want to do is share the playground you're in. Because when you do that, Craig, here's what's fascinating. When you're talking one-on-one -on -one or you're talking with a group of people and you share your playground, what people are immediately going to say is they could be one of three people, right? They they could say, ah, that doesn't interest to me at all. That doesn't mean they're not interested in me. They just don't, that playground doesn't make sense to me. They could be, and the, and the one I'm always looking for is the referral partner. And the third possibility is they're a prospect. So when I say CEOs flying like eagles, you know, if, if if nothing happens, I'm like, oh well, finish the conversation and 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 then politely move on where it makes sense. If they go, what does that mean? Tell me more. Now I have a one minute thing that that essentially says what I do in this playground I play in. And if it sounds too good to be true, which many cases for many people it does. The next natural question, so the third question in the interviews, how do you have credibility to do what you do? Hmm. Now, there's a difference between, notice what's happened. If I present, if I come to you right up front and say, this is what I'm an expert in, this is what I do, and hire me, uh, you know, like, like we, we're so anti-sales at the moment, we're going we're gonna to hold ourselves back. But if you come to me and, and you ask me what I do and I tell you the playground, now you're inviting me, or what I'm really doing by saying those words, I'm inviting you to show interest in playing in the playground. Tell me more, and how do you have credibility to do what you do? Now, here's where it gets really fascinating. It's the fourth question. So let's say I've, you've gotten far enough along. I've shared my CPOP, CEOs flying like eagles. And, and I like CPOPs that are four words. Sometimes they get up to six. Um, I've done this over a thousand times. It is it turns out to be the frequency of how that human vibrates when they actually see it. And it's it's their compass 
for what needs to happen in terms of how they show up on a day-to-day -day basis. After you do the tell me more and, and, and then focus on how you have credibility, what often happens, and you could do this all this in about two minutes. So you're interacting with somebody and you know their playground and you know they're credible in their playground. So that's as you're getting to your question, as you're getting to know somebody better. What comes next is they're going to, they're going to want to know or somehow you want to cement it in. And how you cement it in is tell a story. And uh, given that your firm focuses on storytelling, this is something that you guys do all the time. In this particular case, you want to tell a story that's one or two minutes long that really highlights one of the 10 values of credibility. So it just depends on who you're talking to on the other side and what they get interested in. So it could be on servant leadership or it could be on vulnerability or it could be on authenticity, right? So, you know, in my old days, if I was in an interview and I heard a phrase I didn't know, I would never say, hey, tell me what that means. I don't understand it, mm. right? But like, I, I don't know, <laughs> tell me, right? And and I, and I and sometimes showing vulnerability is the right thing to do and sometimes not, right? And so for me, the as I'm getting to, to know somebody, I want to know how they're going to be when times are good. And I want to know how how they're going to be when shit hits the fan. Uh, sorry, an American, an American phrase, you know, when things go haywire. And, uh, and it's when things break and you see somebody, how somebody handles and addresses things under pressure, that's where their true nature, their true personality comes out. And I try my best to see that, particularly if it's going to be negative, way before that ever happens and potentially avoid it completely. Hmm. All right. All right. I could go for hours <laughs> with you because you're sparking all sorts of things. Um, something we, we focus on a lot in the work that we do is creating an ecosystem, not an ego system. Uh, I'm curious for you, uh, what strategies can leaders adopt to build successful ecosystems and why are they so important? Well, it's what we've read about this when for those that got MBAs and we see it in the in the papers and we we talk about it and what I'm going to say is is stakeholder advocacy it's understanding all of the stakeholders in the ecosystem you know so depending on the company it could be the investors whether it's stockholders or you know if, if you're a startup firm it's it's the VCs it's the the owners which sometimes are different than the investors it's the leaders it's the employees these are all stakeholders it's the customers it's the partners and if you're delivering through subcomponent manufacturers or other partners it's the partners who are helping deliver directly to the customers for you and each one of the combinations between uh, this this nameless thing called an entity, and let's just say, for for lack of a letter word, let's use leaders, the interaction between the leader and each one of those stakeholders really should be mapped out, really should be focused on. And, and there's the looking at a Venn diagram between the leader and each one of those areas, there's a component of true synergy. Understanding what that is, focusing on it, trying best to expand it where appropriate and knowing when 
things happen that are outside of that synergy area and either saying, no, we're not going to go there, or this doesn't make sense, or we need to bring somebody else on board. So knowing when to say yes, when to say no, and how to how to allow people to do, if we take an assumption that everyone wants to be of value to others, sometimes people can't be of value to others because they don't really know what that means. Mm. And so the if you focus on the the from the ecosystem perspective, understanding each one of the stakeholders and where their motivations are and how best to bring out the best of them. And even in some cases, allowing like uh, employees that have nothing to do with a particular manufacturer, even knowing what that is and what they're doing and how they're doing and how they contribute to the overall profit and and long-term excitement of the of the company. How about with the, for the customers? Well, they don't really need to know that, but if you're excited about it and you like them and you feature them, right? It just, there's, there's an opportunity here to be, people use the word transparent, but, but I'm not sure they always use it effectively. There's an opportunity to showcase. Um, one of the words I use under being liked, uh, you talked about like before, and there are two elements of being liked. One is showing respect. And the other is, I call it spreading cred dust. The other is sharing the ideas, thoughts, and actions of others. So imagine if, as, as the leader is dealing with different stakeholders, instead of pointing out the faults, they pointed out the, the highlights. They were spreading the cred dust of each of the stakeholders with the other stakeholders. Uh, it turns out to be a much more positive, robust environment. Um, so from a tactical perspective, it's really mapping out where the synergy lies. Um, and then figure out what are the best ways to, unfortunately, the way companies work it, it, for the employees, it means it needs to be part of the compensation system and all that. Um, but it's it's really focusing on the things that are potentially most relevant, not just profit. Mm. Okay. I like that. It's good. Good. Great answer. Uh in regards to credibility, earlier we were talking about um, kind of internal versus external credibility. Um, why is it important? Sorry, I'll ask the question first. Is it important to focus on the internal credibility first before the external? Mm. Um, and what does it take? Well, specifically, let me tell you about, so I said two things. So let me make sure I understand. One, you need to be, credible internally before you're credible externally. That's one thing I said. The other thing I said was that the word integrity was the only value of credibility that was both, that was there twice mm. because it dealt with external integrity and internal integrity. They're similar, but different concepts. Which one do, would you like me to address? Uh, let's go with the second one. Okay. So this is something where I, I want to say I, I I did this research, super excited, finished it um, uh, in in uh, twelve months, in somewhere in the eleventh mark time frame. I had all of my my thoughts and ideas. It was probably in the tenth mark that I had nine values until somewhere in the tenth tenth month. I had somebody come on who was not coachable. Uh, that's a great story. And I'm like, oh, yeah, coachability has to be part of it. The thing that kept bothering me, and I kept saying, sorry, it keeps showing up, is the word integrity was listed twice. 
And I didn't get it because we just think of one concept called integrity. And it wasn't until, so I, I did a TEDx on this, 28th most popular in 2021. I, I have published my book. I still didn't really know why integrity was there twice other than the numbers sort of pulled them out. And it was a year afterwards, I was speaking to a woman, woman by the name of Cheryl Lynn, who focuses on joy. And she said something at the end of the conversation. And it was like so powerful. She says, Mitchell, do you realize that happiness is on the outside and joy is on the inside? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I got that. When I woke up in the morning, I knew why integrity was there twice. Under the pillar of being trusted, it's the external integrity. This is, by the way, external integrity is how leaders were, were brought up to be. Hey, I'm I'm always doing this, and this is how I am. This is what we show the face of the world, and it is, and it's typically that without vulnerability. But we, we already covered that. What leaders, what politician leaders, whether it's of companies or of politics or of religion, what they don't recognize is that everyone has a camera. Everyone knows everything, and so. What you, we as humans do is we kind of separate what we think we need to share with the world, external integrity, versus what we do ourselves, internal integrity. Do we cheat on taxes? Do we cheat on our diet? Do we cheat on our spouse? And what happens is, so ex integrity, external, under trustworthy, internal, is as I get to know you. And one of the stories, uh, one of the executive coaches that I interacted with, what she said to me is she was part of an organization was 10,000 people and she was working for a boss who was held in high restored, very strong external integrity. And uh, at one business trip, they were out of town, they were together and and uh, they they both went up for the night, you know, separate rooms, obviously. And, and she came down for a drink at the bar later and saw him, married guy, with another woman in a more intimate setting that level of lack of internal integrity caused her to completely lose trust and need to leave the organization she couldn't trust all the other things that happened and it was only one element but a very important one mm. saying one thing out of one you know saying something out of one side of your mouth and doing something on the other is a really important element of credibility. And, and that's why integrity is twice. We really need to think about it, not just what we show the world, but who we are. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the world is shifting in a way very, very fast in regards to the workplace. And, you know, it seems like roles become redundant faster than maybe what they have previously in our world. So what is it? What does it mean to be staying relevant in this current day and age? And, and is that going to potentially shift in the future? Oh, you are, you, you did such a great job of integrating that concept in. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> you know, part of being credible is being of service to others, including yourself. And when you're inside of a company, Lots of times people, what quiet quitting was, from my uh, my quick quick understanding of quiet quitting and what I see inside corporations, 
is people didn't like the company they worked for anymore. People didn't like the job they had. The, there are people, the younger generation are given a job that might be an eight hour job. And because they're up to speed on the current technologies and tool sets, they get that eight hours done in two hours. Now, when they go to their boss and say, I want to do more, the boss says, well, I don't want you to burn out. I, you're good at what you do. I don't want you to burn out. And they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs, actually doing things you know, for six hours. They're, they've quite quit. And over time, since the older generation has not allowed the, the younger generation to, to really flourish in who they are, that's where quiet quitting came in a lot from the younger generation. So what does staying relevant mean? It's for the leaders to recognize that not everyone's the same. Some people process fast, some people process slow, staying up to speed on what's going on, understanding the new technology that comes in, knowing how to integrate the new technology and the new use of technology by people who may be I know it's hard to believe if you're a CEO of a company that that maybe half your workforce is smarter than you. And they are at things that they have expertise in. Recognizing that, having the vulnerability, having the ability to focus on that. And so one of the things I started focusing on is, and 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 I'll one other reason is is this concept of staying relevant. And I'll I'll give you one other example. I having been in Silicon Valley for 35 years, I have friends who were engineers at a particular company and we'll just use Intel as as a, as, as a scapegoat or as a, as a example they grew up in the engineering space learning a particular engineering chipset and one day Intel changes chipsets now the people I know most of them were able to move or transition some became project managers some learned a new chipset and some, said, wait, I don't want to learn something new. And many of them are now baristas at Starbucks, right? And so the importance of recognizing that if you are in a position, you're in a playground and you love what you do, you you can't just stop when you've learned something. You, you, you have to continue to learn. You have to continue to grow. You have to continue to talk to your stakeholders coming back into the ecosystem and asking what's new, what's happening, how can I learn, how can I grow? Paying attention to and consuming your informational diet needs to be consumed of not just, you know, podcasts, not just mm. books, those are both important, not just humans, but also the consolidation of humanity, which now you can get access to with BART or ChatGPT or any of the AI tools. And also recognizing if you're staying relevant, is that you can't believe immediately everything you say, everything you hear, everything that that transpires. And it's a fine balancing line. It's a staying relevant in in a in a world that that changes overnight is so it I'm going to say it's it's very simple. It is absolutely not easy. Mm. And and very simple is is really keeping up to speed talking, being uh, consistently understanding what the end goals are of what it is that those that you work with want to accomplish and trying to find ways to improve that situation. And I have to tell you, most leaders are not allowing their their people to really grow. It's, gonna, it's a very interesting 
uh, maybe not, maybe most leaders are not the right word. There are many leaders in positions today that will get replaced soon because they're not staying relevant. Mm. They've not allowed themselves to, to understand that the job that they did can be done five, 10 times faster with somebody who's new up and coming. And they just need to pay attention to, to ask and to see. And, and so staying relevant is a, it's a very fascinating. And, and by the way, for me, let me turn it back for you for a second. Um, how do you stay relevant? I would say for me, I would call myself having expertise. I've morphed in my life at least four times. I have expertise in staying relevant. I, I'm not sure I'm going to call myself an expert. So I'm going to ask you, Craig, how do you go about staying relevant? Uh, for me, I think I what I've always been passionate about and fascinated in are things that will not be disposed of in a way, you know, they're, they're around, people are still going to need people to coach them. People are still going to need people to lead them. People are going to need people to ask questions and interpret things. Uh, so I, I was never caught up in a specific skill that could be change that could be done by a machine in a way or that could be uh done in a different way so you know for me i think there's it's a you know i've always looked at things as what am i what do i love doing and if i stop loving it i stop doing it right so so it's a very very simple game that i play but everything's around human and communication skills uh and so you know look i'm seeing some aspects of society which require humans to being in where people are trying to force technology into replace them because it makes it more efficient from a business sense however it doesn't make it more efficient and effective for the consumer which is therefore going to affect the business long term and so uh, I'm always thinking about what is the right way to approach something around from a human intelligence point of view versus a technical, a technology point of view. Um, mm. I do need to understand both. But for me, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by serving people. And to be honest, I can't see if you're in a space of serving um, in regards to things like leadership and communication that that's ever going to change. Um, it may You may need to adapt the way you do stuff, but in the end, those skills are still always going to be required um, so that's how I stay relevant. <laughs> Love it. Well, the, the big issue is adopting your approach mm. to deal with current current times. Mm. Yeah. I, I think for everyone on the call too, like everyone listening in, you know, technology will come. But the only technology that will stick around if it actually solves a, a real human problem, if it doesn't, it's not going to stick around. Um, in most cases, in most cases, I will, I will say that. Uh, because, you know, technology like Xbox and PlayStation have lasted the test of time. They don't actually solve really any human problem apart from we need some way to relax and, and, and have instant gratification maybe. Uh, but outside of that, like you look at things like the metaverse. The metaverse didn't really solve a problem. It was just something interesting in that space. No one's figured out how to, how it can actually really solve a problem yet. Maybe they will. 
but at present, and that's why it's kind of died off conversations pretty fast. It was last year, the big talk, but it's it's literally disappearing. Now, artificial intelligence, and we're talking about chat GPT, um, at this stage, yes, it's a lot of hype and a lot of talk. It's still got a long way to go to actually be um, ex- really useful. It's still got some iterations to go, and that's why people... Uh, and not, you know, when we talk to speaker bureaus, for instance, very few companies are actually asking for speakers on chat GPT and artificial intelligence. You know, most of the, the speakers people are looking for right now is around leadership and communication. Um, and it's, and, and so it's, people are looking at how it's more around the tool of how do we interpret what is there? How do we, deal with human beings. And so I find that fascinating right now. Um, so will chat GPT help us? It's just a, it's just a faster search engine than what we've had before. We've all, you know, we've had Google for a long time. We had Encyclopedia Britannica before that. So we've just sped up the process of finding information and research. Um, has it spare, has it enhanced our communication ability? Maybe in finding context, but enhancing humanity, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure what I know what the word enhancing humanity is. Well, enhancing humanity is, if we've already got all these things already, like we already know stuff, right? So we've created knowledge, etc. Search engines are very good. And that's what ChatGPT is, just in a very advanced search engine at this point. And research. I'm going to say I don't agree 100%, but okay. <laughs> in most cases, that's what it does, right? It, it is able to find information quickly. It may be able to interpret it based on some questions we're asking it to interpret previous information in different ways, which could come up with new uh, concepts. It could, can, can come up with new concepts. But in the end, you know, so I think that type of tool, yes, it's going to stick around for a while, and then we'll find a better new one. We'll find the new Encyclopedia oh, Britannica. I, I um, let me let me jump in for a second, guys. So I'm, uh, you gave me a really good perspective on you, and I appreciate that. First of all, I was around during the dot com days, and and I was that guy who would go into VPs and presidents of companies and say, you know, there's this new technology coming. It's going to allow us to understand our customers better and drop ship products from our subcomponent manufacturers directly to our companies. I'm sorry, directly to our customers. And I was literally walked out of the office twice of companies who said the internet's just a fad. Now, the internet had been around for 10, 20, 30 years before the company called Mosaic came into space. And Mark Andreessen created Mosaic, and Mosaic now showed humans what the internet can be. Mm-hmm. So, Mosaic to the internet is like ChatGPT to AI. AI has been around for 60 years, and everyone kept saying, ah, yeah, not really. What, to me, what I see in ChatGPT Yes, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Google search. Bard, by the way, not, not too bad either. And they may actually surpass um, ChatGPT at some point in time. But there's a couple things it does. It's not only 
the fact that it's putting, let's say, a thousand researchers in your pocket. It's also putting a thousand analysts in your pocket. So it it researches and synthesizes. And I'll give you a good example. I have 10 values of credibility. And what I've done is I've loaded and created a, a, a Google Doc that has, okay, who is Mitchell Levy? And, and part of that is 10 values of credibility. Well, I was looking at a coaching ICF, the International Coaching Federation, and, and they have their own values. And I said, and I said, hey, do you know? Now, it didn't know my values because they came out after the 21, 20, 21 timeframe, but it knew ICF's values and, and core framework. And I said, can you please compare ICF's core framework with my credibility framework, Mitchell Levy's credibility framework? Tell me what's missing. Tell me where the synergies are. Tell me what I should be thinking about. And by the way, that was not just one question. That's a series of, of questions. That level of analysis might have taken 20, 25, 30 hours if I had somebody else on my team do it. And it might have been an hour worth of time. And then I could take that information and now put that into proposals and do other things with it that I couldn't have done before. Hmm. So that's the it's it's a it's a little bit more than just search. Yes, it's search, but it's also synthesis. Because it, you know what what happens is I could say I don't know who's your favorite actor in life. You personally, I'm just curious who who's your favorite actor, actor, actress. Robin Williams. Ah, oh, great example. So I could write a story um, about the differences between, if we're going to stay on this, between the credibility framework or or the synergy between the credibility framework and the ICF values. And, and say, hey, write me an article on this. Mm. Now I could say, can you please put that article in Robin Williams' tone of voice? And it will change the article and use the nuances that it knows about and has stored about Robin Williams. That's not something that's relatively, that's not something that is easy to do. Um, and so that, so it's different. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's interesting. Like, like I find that interesting, but what problem does that solve? Like, like, so, so that instance, like, so, and I know you can do that, right? I, I find that interesting, right? It's interesting, somewhat fascinating that something can do that. Does it solve a problem for me? Not really. Well, not really. Let's but, say, but the synthesis, let's, yes, let, the concept let's say, can. <laughs> Craig, let's say, for instance, you needed to speak to the CEO of a company and you wanted to impress them. If you if if ChatGPT knew who they were, you could say, "Hey, here's a proposal. Oh, please reword it in the tone and language of the CEO." Okay. Now that brings up an integrity thing, and and, and a reason I'll say that's an integrity thing is how is it going to pick up that tone of the CEO? Is it based on articles written about that CEO, or maybe pieces they've written on? Because a media journalist could paint a really unique picture on that CEO. So I would be quite hesitant in trying to use technology to predict the what a human being is based on what's on the ah. internet. I think it's dangerous. That, 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 that's that's so, my perspective on it. I, I feel so it's dangerous. So Craig, let me, let me change your opinion tiny bit. So you were judging the output based on the input and assuming the input was 
let's say, jaded by analyst. Mm -hmm. What happens if you went to ChatGPT and say, hey, here are the characteristics of the person that I'd like you to know about, and you fed an input in that was along the lines of something that you wanted to talk about, said, here's my input, now do this, so you're not doing it based on um, the outside world, but you're actually feeding an input to get an output. Just say, Yeah, yeah, it's good. It raises a great question because in the end, how good is the input and the output of a human being versus the input and output of a machine, right? And that's the question. Uh, that, uh, by the way, you got it. That's the question. And I think one of the most interesting. And, and look, I'm just challenging. Does, I, I want to go deep into some of the stuff, so I'm, so I'm challenging kind of theories and perspectives on stuff. But but when it comes to decision making, I had a great conversation. Uh, if you get a chance, have a listen to the interview I did with John Yo around this a couple of weeks ago. And we delved into the world of decision-making and the enhancement of artificial intelligence and things like ChatGPT, I'm hoping that it gives us a chance, and, and, and we were discussing this, gives us a chance to have a think around what does it mean to be human and what is our construct of decision-making and does it need a reset or does it need to be advanced as, as, as humanity because we we now know that things like artificial intelligence or any technology beyond to be honest is based around uh one or two or a few people's perspectives on what is the truth or what is right or wrong or what may be the question we are asking so or who sets the parameters so I think it's going to raise a really good societal, or hopefully it'll raise a really good societal question around what is decision-making and what does it mean to be a human? Oh, I love that question. I, I, get, I do have one question for you. How many how many podcasts do you end up doing in a year? Uh, one. Uh, so, so recording or listening? Oh, or, in terms of you doing, you being the interviewee. Uh, not too many because uh, probably five, five or so a year, five to ten a year. Oh, then I, first of all, thank you. I'm honored. Um, and that's part of you staying relevant, by the way, mm. learning and growing from talking with people. When you get challenged by an outside voice that that's from another part of the world that thinks in a different way, that's part of you staying relevant. Mm. Um, love that. Yeah, I'm happy to happy to 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 give that a listen. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Excellent. All right. We, we've, this has been a long conversation. I love it. It's probably the longest I've actually had on the podcast, which I like. Uh, so we all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Today. <laughs> I, I said it before in the interview. Um, I try to stay relevant. I try to stay open and have questions and try new things all the time. And as I mentioned before, I was running a running a boot camp. I've got a partner I do this with, a guy by the name of Lucas Rude, and and uh, he brought in somebody he trusts, and she was in there, and she was taking, she was actually providing so much value. I'm like, this is the first time we've run. I think six other boot camps. The first time I said to somebody, "Hey, 
it's it's your ball. Why don't you run with it? And yes, um, it could have gone poorly. And instead, it was so beneficial, not just to those in a room. Well, first of all, think think of it. If 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 someone who's in control of a meeting says to someone who's an outsider, hey, why don't you run this? Take the next half hour and, and run your exercise. So A, helped her feel more credible, more appreciated, you know, more respected. Those in the room are like, Mitchell did that? I wonder what I can do, right? That that I might be able to do. And who's going to benefit? Is everyone we touch going forward? It was calculated risk, something new, absolutely worth trying. Beautiful. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Hmm. Well, have you ever if you ever read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what is the answer to life, universe, and everything? Great question. For you, what is an inspiring great leader? And who is a great mm. example of this to you? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I love one of the one of the current uh, people that I particularly like in terms of how they show up and continue to show up is a guy by the name of Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. Um, I interacted with Mark way back when, when I was uh, running conferences at Comdex. And, and how he's matured and how he contributes and how he showcases his family on the show that he does and what appears to be, at least the what I see on the outside, because I don't, I might send Mark an email once every two or three years and get a response, but we we just don't really interact. And but who I've seen of him from a from an outside perspective, he feels like he's carved a good life and have influenced in a positive way tens, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people with all the things that he's done. And uh, yeah, that's inspirational for me. Beautiful. Uh, it's been an insightful conversation. Uh, it's It's been really reflective as well. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? You know, the I always find the easiest is, is my website. It's MitchellLevy.com. Um, if this was relevant enough and, and you feel like it makes sense for, how, for us to have a conversation, you can actually get directly to my calendar. You know, and I do I do play often on LinkedIn uh, if you want to connect. And particularly, um, let me just say this. If you have a not so good LinkedIn profile and you want to connect, write me a note and tell me you heard about me here because that gets special privileges. Otherwise, I you know, we get, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests and we don't always accept them all. I think one of the things we talked about for Craig is I've got this phenomenal new newsletter I just started called Staying Relevant. And so you can get there on LinkedIn or through the, or if, if, you, if you guys know Substack, you can get there through Substack and it's, 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 it's staying relevant with Mitchell Levy. And I, if you have a strong opinion on, on how you stay relevant, tell me your story. I'll, I'll share it in the newsletter. I'll share it and what I do. I'm very interested in, in continually to learn and to grow and for us to, live better lives as humans. And to me, that means doing it in a way where we're staying more credible and more humane to each other. 
Love it. And you can grab all those links in the show notes, including his TikTok channel and also how to get his book, Credibility Nation. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Mitchell. Uh, we have had a long but what seemed very fast conversation. We went deep. There were lots of questions. We challenged each other. I, I love that fact. And what's beautiful is I think people can now start to understand a little bit more around what is relevant in the world today when it comes to connecting with people when we trust them in finding credibility in someone. And and I really like your take when we're talking about credibility around trust, known for, and and like someone. I think that's really important we understand that. We can't just be likable, that fun person. We can't just know a lot of stuff. Uh, We also have to build trust. And so I like the fact that we could cover those and, you know, and staying relevant in this world, you know, it's a, it's a big question a lot of people are asking right now. How do you stay relevant? And, you know, for a lot of people, they're trying to figure out, is my job relevant? Is my place in the world relevant? And and I'm sure you are someone that can really, really help those people, um, not only just from listening to this podcast as we raised a few questions and talked about a few things, uh, but check Mitchell Levy out. What a great guy. It's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for your time and look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. As do I. Thank you, Craig. This was an amazing interview. And yes, I can't believe it's been as long as it has. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for your time. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn And be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next inspiring great leaders podcast. Where the ordinary don't belong.